phone's annoying as shit because if you use slang it will autocorrect real words to slang so like if i write the word y'all like for instance yeah. it will now autocorrect other words to be y'all even ya like <laughs> the biggest one for me is us because i guess it's just where they line up on a phone but if it's like if i'm saying like us it'll autocorrect to ya <laughs> and it's fucking annoying yeah, yeah. what's ya yeah like or just y -A. like ya yeah yeah Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'll be like, yeah, yeah. And then it'll just like later on when I write something, I'll just be us, like, us. Yeah. <laughs> the weird thing is, my phone just keeps correcting everything to racial slurs. <laughs> I can't explain it. No, that's because uh, you use them all the time. <laughs> no, all day long as you're sending emails. Hey, you use an HHHGGG. <laughs> yeah. That's very inconsiderate of you. I don't know if you're familiar, but that. <laughs> That phrase isn't what it used to be. Yeah. That term. I used to say it all the time, but nobody ever said anything to me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I turned autocorrect off on my phone. I couldn't do that. I'm the worst yeah. speller. I used to be better at it than I think I am now. You've gotten worse at spelling as you get older? Yes. I did spelling bee in like elementary school. Oh, and like I that. am definitely getting dumber. I am way dumber <laughs> now than I was like five, six years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. New information is getting <laughs> pushed out me. of my brain. <laughs> okay. No, it's okay. You can agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's a that's a fun that's a, a little fun realization for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, are you familiar with what's kind of going on right now with um, college humor? Austin briefly explained it to me in the yeah. car yesterday because he brought it up to me. And recently, I guess you pointed out that they have a streaming service that is also unfortunately yes, dropout. Yes, TV that is going to be going away soon. So we started watching some shows on there, many of which were very good. One of them is called an Um Actually. It's a game show where you just correct people on nerd trivia. Uh, nice. Yeah, so the, so the whole thing is the host of the show just has cards with statements on them, but oh, something in the correct. statement is wrong. Yeah, like a false statement about to, Star Wars or Harry Potter yeah, or something. Yeah, and you have to correct him, but if you don't say, um, actually, you don't get any points. It's <laughs> like Jeopardy. Yeah. yeah. I like that. It's <laughs> really good. But we were talking about us, like, losing our ability to retain certain information as we get older. The last question of every episode is a real-life skills question. Yeah. So it'll be a whole bunch of questions about video games and anime and all this shit. <laughs> and then the very last question is, like, how to change a tire or, like, Jeez. how to read the gas meter and your house and, and if you ever want to feel like the biggest idiot <laughs> like but it's such yep. a good idea for a show it is yeah everybody out there listening dropout.tv subscribe and then uh <laughs> subscribe and then hopefully they can keep it going longer than a couple months yeah it's sad and i know was it funny or die went through something similar yeah well that was the whole facebook thing yeah yeah that's sad man like i have a lot of nostalgia for like comedy-based companies that are well, struggling that to survive like, that was the interesting thing is uh when college humor went under i saw a very long post like a twitter thread about them dying essentially right yeah there's a lot of people on college humor, just like, you know how like the Daily Show in the early 2000s became like this weird, like jumping off board for a lot of comedians yes, like Steve yes, Carell and yeah. Stephen Colbert. And, Absolutely. Well, there's becoming less and less of those now. Mm, and like true. college humor was a big one because I got into college humor a while ago back when they had their older cast and like 
two of those cast members went on to found a podcast network called HeadGum. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. One of them is a head writer for Last Week Tonight with yeah, John the, Oliver. Yeah, John Oliver. One sure. of them is a head writer, or two of them were head writers on Saturday Night Live for a while. Wow. So like those jumping off points are now going away. Yeah, like, and yeah. like these companies are slowly going under, and it's like, it's Where like you, you find new you, talent for YouTube like YouTube and social media is like yeah. replacing like. Like, you yeah. have to get famous yourself in comedy now. There's nowhere to go as a comedy writer unless you can't yeah. also film it and put it on somewhere. Yeah. That's true. I'm putting a lot of the pressure on the individual. Yeah. Oh, that sounds familiar. Sounds like <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. And Facebook paid $40 million for almost putting under two of the biggest comedy companies on the internet and putting under a lot of smaller companies. It's fucking sad. Disgusting. Disgusting. Yeah. Like, I'm on YouTube now. It's like, the, the one thing I see that's cool is, like, some of my favorite curators are getting, like, Comedy Central little things. Like, Caleb City mm-hmm. has, like, videos yeah, with Gus Comedy Johnson. Central. Yeah. Gus yeah. Johnson also. He's all right. I like Caleb City. I like, um, yeah. I don't really like well, Gus just, Johnson. used to see a little bit with Adult Swim would do that, because that's how, like, Brad Neely broke in there and stuff like that. Yeah, like, absolutely. They, like, they'll just do, like, little bumpers or... William Street's very, like... Looking for talent all the time. Yeah, I mean, but a lot of those guys also recruit like straight out of LA. That's true. I don't think there's a lot. They're of in like, an odd position right now because it's like <laughs> the audience that they're targeting is no longer using cable, so yeah. it's like they have to stay relevant. Channel their Five. Means. They're talking about doing like. Well, I know there's some version of it. I should say where it's supposed to be like a 24-hour running show, like yeah. channel, but it's like a subscription service that you can tune into. Like if we wanted wow, to watch what's on yeah. Channel Five right now, we like tune in and we can watch it. Like I know. <laughs> Tim Heidegger has a lot to do with that, too. That's pretty punk rock, actually. <laughs> just like it reminds me of like the pirate radio days. Yeah. You know, of just like. Yeah. Like I know there's a bunch yourself. of people who have shows or like working on shows for that, too. Man. Well, all right. Who's ready for some more Tetris? No. <laughs> oh, wait, that's not Tetris. No. Well, it depends which version of Tetris you play. If you play wait, Tetris DS you're telling or 99... me Tetris isn't the one with the short little blue guy that shoots a gun out of his... What is good, the gun arm, right? Where that song comes from? No, it's the one where you steal cars, you commit crimes. Oh, government simulator. That's, that's not that good. <laughs> you, you, if you didn't have steel cars up. in there, it might not work. <laughs> All right, well, this is Hot Button. I'm your hard-dropping host, Randall Beatrice, here with my confidants, or should I say comrades, Austin Blakesley. Don't say hard-dropping. Is that Why, a poop, is that, is that that a poop a, thing? I think it's, yeah, it's, already or, made a, a poop. or it's a dick thing. I don't know. Is it? <laughs> that sounds like something. I'm out of Tetris puns. Oh, is hard-dropping a Tetris thing? Yeah, yeah when you hard-drop. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. Stop saying oh, I, it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure on a previous episode we did say something about hard dropping sounding like taking a shit. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it might have been in a clip. That's how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you fucked up your intros, but that is Austin Blakesley. Yeah. <laughs> and that is Chris Antoine. Yeah. If nothing gives us the uh, shining example of people who are just talking about how they're aging and can't remember and getting stupider, and then we don't remember our own jokes about poop. <laughs> and it was only an episode ago. I wasn't like, you know. That was years ago. Yeah. <laughs> this is Austin Blakesley T-spinning my way into... I already made a T-spinning. That was, one that, was, big, that was my introduction last episode. That was episode. one big taco cheeseburger ago. <laughs> My cheeseburger had pineapples on it. Well, we're kicking it off professionally here, but <laughs> now I lost my place. 
You can't say professional and then do the stupidest thing. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Well, welcome back. This is part three of our story on the history of the game, so if you're confused as all hell right now, then please go back and listen to parts one and two, and then return to I mean, this so everything from I mean, you did clip will make something sense. called part yeah, three. Did, so. It says part three in the title, so like, I feel like that's on them, if that's <laughs> Maybe, the case. I don't know. Hey, people aren't always about reading. Sometimes they're just about clicking. That's true. I never read anything except for <laughs> headlines of articles, and then I get really mad and fight with people on the internet. <laughs> also, if you have listened to parts one and two, then you already know just how crazy certain areas of this whack-ass adventure can get. Yeah. Which, speaking of, does anyone need a quick recap before we pick up where we left off for our previous cliffhanger? I mean... Yes. Yes. Also, okay. you should do it anyway for the people listening. I was gonna. I was just yeah. asking you guys, like, hypothetically. Yeah, no. Last okay, I remember, so we hopped Shigeru Miyamoto the... created it <laughs> because he likes gardening, uh, and they won't let him ride his bike anymore. Oh, wait, that's Pikmin. I was gonna say, my was gonna be that we just hopped into a painting, and now we're in a 3D underwater world. <laughs> Well, don't worry. This episode will be slightly more straightforward than the last one, I think. Ever think about how that's called? Isn't that like Dry Docks, the name of that Mario world? I don't remember. Dire Dire Docks. Oh. Yeah. Just way more pretty. And that's That, that makes sense. Dire. Well. Because everybody's going to die if he doesn't swim. <laughs> I don't remember the game. You should replay Mario 64. It's incredible. It's a masterpiece. It's, it really is. Okay, so... I believe the very last thing we got into was in regards to the three men who were all traveling to Elorg's headquarters in Moscow in search of straightening out all this Tetris funny business. One had frankincense, <laughs> myrrh, <laughs> and then gold. But the gold was confiscated at the Soviet border. Yeah. yeah. But you know, this was about the you know the rights and licensing and who owns what or who misunderstood or lied to who. You know. Yeah. Of those three men, there was of course Hank Rogers. Not Hank Rogers, as I said in the uh, previous episode. I sincerely apologize to everyone. I Hank? H-I-N-K? H-E-N-K. Hank. Hank. Yes. Yeah. He's the Austrian guy, Hungarian guy, German guy. Uh, Is he American? Is he Japanese? He's Swedish, right? Hank? He was the Swedish guy that married a Japanese woman and then moved to Japan? Uh, he was Dutch. Dutch, Dutch sorry. Yeah. Dutch. Hank. Although he was working for an American company. Yeah. Gotcha. But he was Dutch. Just like <laughs> chocolate and weed. That guy from uh, Red Dead. Clogs. <laughs> the guy from Red Dead. Also, <laughs> um, also it's not, sorry, it's not American, but he was working for a Japanese company because of his... Yeah, because of his wife. Yes. Yeah. I know the story better than you do. Why don't, <laughs> all right, I'll take it from here. It was uh, so, Spectrum Holobyte was the American company. But this is Hank Rogers. I, uh, we're already starting this off with a correction. But he's going to be a very important person continuing on today. Like I said, he was the Dutch game designer and owner of Japanese publisher Bulletproof Software. Yeah. He was the one responsible for bringing Tetris to the Famicom. Not Tengen, as I accidentally stated in the previous discussion as well. This is the only problem with doing episodes like this in parts. See, his copy was published by mistake. Tengen basically gave him the wrong permissions to do it while they worked on their NES port here. The one you mentioned, okay, so the, the one that's like Tetris colon the, the Soviet, Soviet mind game. game. Yes. That's the U.S. one. That is the U.S. one. And then Bulletproof published the Japanese Famicom. Yes. And they okay. also, we haven't gotten to it yet, but they are the publishers of the Game Boy version, which was worldwide. Bullet point was? Bull, uh, bulletproof. Bulletproof. Sorry. So uh, I don't many, know if you fucked up there or me. so many names. <laughs> I think I fucked up. <laughs> but Tengen didn't have anything to do with the initial Japanese release outside selling the rights, 
which they didn't have. That would also explain why their reaction was what it was when he whipped out that cartridge while being uh, the first to arrive looking for answers in Moscow. Answers and his that, bad experience in Moscow, that's why he became Captain America when he got back, <laughs> right? Answers that led to an angry, angry Russian. His which, last name's Rogers, yeah. that's it. No, yeah, I oh, well, it Steve Rogers. Okay, <laughs> and I, I'll get back to that angry Russian in a sec. I feel like there's going to be a, a lot of skull. angry Russians. <laughs> Wait, no, he was German. Then, uh, German. Okay. <laughs> Next, there was Richard Agent Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Next, there was Richard Stein, a kind of veteran character in our story for three episodes now. But he was the licensee from Hungary, an owner of the British Andromeda Software, who first bought the game outside the Iron Curtain. Then, last of the three... There was Kevin Maxwell, the son of Robert Maxwell, who founded the Mega Maxwell Communications Corporation and was huh. unoriginal with names. Kevin yeah. Maxwell's the kid from Home Alone, right? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin... Sorry, I had to have my own Captain America joke. That was good. Kevin was more or less being sent as a representative for the business by his daddy, who I'm sure didn't know what and the his, fuck was going on. His dad left him in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to that angry Russian. Mr. Nikolai Belikov, the new cutthroat head of the Elorg company who is now in charge of everything Tetris within the USSR. And uh, They took over Academy Soft's And king of stereotypical Russian names. <laughs> <laughs> also in the story, there was American publisher, which I brought up before, Spectrum Holobyte. Mm -hmm. They were probably most famous for releasing the Apple II edition from the IBM version of the game, which we didn't they really also... get into before, but I recently saw photos of the original packaging it came in it was three diskettes along with a little please don't make copies of this note from the company. They also get the award for coolest company name and a of CEO these? company name. And yeah, you know what? That I please agree. don't make copy of these kind of worked too probably. Yeah, back then, yeah. That's the insane thing. <laughs> anyway, they were run by Phil Adam under Chairman Gilman Louie who also founded the Nexa Corporation which was merged into Spectrum and both were under parent company Maxwell. That... I just want to point out it sounds like you're making this all up. <laughs> I know you're not. But it sounds like you sound like an improv person just making up company names. White guy, white guy, white guy corporation. It's more there's more than one corporation. Is that the Tetris Mad Libs? <laughs> white guy, white guy, white guy corporation. Then with them, there was Mirasoft, the UK publisher run by Jim Machinage. They were the ones that changed a lot of the Soviet imagery in their release that came up in the yeah. last uh, for the Amiga and Atari ST. Yeah, I gotta get rid of this red square. We're like red square scare over here in uh, Europe. You know what I mean? I just find it fascinating how different all of these titles actually looked from each other, like graphically. But they were also yeah, under Maxwell. Just blocks. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, they had backgrounds. I Wasn't tried to... the Spectral Holobyte one, the one where you were like, was that the one where you were like in a spaceship cockpit? In like a Soviet capsule. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is that was insane. And I, I tried to find which one of these two companies did the C sixty four version, and all the wikis I found just said both. So I generally don't know who did what on that one. Moving on, there was the aforementioned Tengen and Atari, along with their president Hadukai Makajima, Nintendo president of Japan Hiroshi Yamauchi, Nintendo president of America Minoru Arakawa, the legendary Shigeru Miyamoto, who. Needs no introduction. It's the guy that made Pikmin. <laughs> 
the Sega there. folks who I have yet to super get into. Then on the Sonic, <laughs> the yeah. Hedgehog. Then on the actual Tetra side of things, there was Vladimir Pokhilko, the psychologist, coders Dmitry Pavlovsky and Vadim Garismov, the noble porting team, and finally there was Alexei Pajitnov, the wonderful man who created the whole thing, thus starting this massive fire, and who also likely had no idea who most of these other people even were. And that's the cast of most boring Expendables movie you ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think I have all my corrections in order. The uh, only other thing I could bring up was in regards to this was a Spectrum's showing at CES where I said the game was fairly empty looking with a black background, but here it likely featured way more graphics. The statements from those commenting on the art being basic, that was probably more in comparison to other titles of the era that featured actual animations like a Mega Man or Castlevania. Oh, uh, yeah. Everybody got it? I'm all caught up. Cool. Do this. Okay. So we're going to pick back up just one day after the events of last time. A relatively frightened Rogers returned to the Elorg HQ and was promptly escorted into a room for a meeting. According to his reports, he was... Meeting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> meeting with air quotes. <laughs> he was sat by himself in the end of a very large table with Belikov, his lawyers and company representatives on the other side. And also, finally, Alexei himself was with them. Wow, dude gets a spotlight. Yeah. Spotlight, he don't know what the fuck is going on. He's probably like, what are we doing? <laughs> Please don't murder me. <laughs> What was supposed to be a sales pitch, complete with a confident Nintendo name drop, was now a sort of trial, especially since those Russians present didn't really even know who the big N was, or hell, even what the bigger video game business and market was itself. Japan. Oh, that small island off our uh, eastern coast that we battled <laughs> one time? <laughs> this was when Rogers decided to instead act cordial rather than defensive, and essentially give the men there a kind of crash course in the industry, explaining what the Famicom was, who his group is, the sales the title was getting. The reps from Elorg then, after hearing this, responded by showing him a copy of the original contract with Stein and his company, Andromeda. Ah. Upon looking it over, this was when Rogers pointed out the troubling line I mentioned in the previous episode about Stein's rights to port the game to, quote, different types of computers. Mm -hmm. The Russians, of course, took this literally, all while the capitalists on the opposite side were like, well, that could mean anything. Uh, yeah, we like, can do it. My kid's a computer, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> there was no divide between... Toaster. Yeah, <laughs> there was no divide between PC and home console to them. Remember, even the Famicom for a time came packaged with software called Family Computer Basic. I mean, that's what the common Famicom stands for. Oh, computer. Family computer. That's what Famicom is short for. Yeah, oh. I know. <laughs> oh. you... I know you know. I'm telling, I'm telling the people listening in case right. they don't know. Yeah, they don't know nothing. God, it's like you never made a podcast before. <laughs> this aside, Elorg was still getting shit nothing in terms of profit. Profit from a game that was currently selling like hotcakes. This basically, like, you know. Could go for some hotcakes. <laughs> Sorry, I, that's not true. We just ate. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Uh, but they, they got totally fucked on that contract with them, all only receiving a fraction of a fraction of a percent of everything. This was, of course, a perfect opportunity for the man to shift back into sales mode and explain how a deal with him and Bulletproof would never end up that way. <laughs> 
going on to say in explicit detail about how they would all make a set flat rate of every cartridge sold from here on out for their handheld Game Boy version of Tetris, which we all know later would be the biggest one yet. But yeah, Rogers, he was assuring them that he wasn't Stein. Right. Alexei was happy to hear this and impressed with not only his offer and savvy knowledge of the industry, but the fact that he also had a background in game development too, unlike Stein. The meeting even adjourned with Belikov being pleased enough to move forward as well, asking for a proper deal to be written up for the handheld rights to Bulletproof. Huh. And uh, although, and this is kind of a baller move here, when Belikov asked Rogers about when he would be returning back to Moscow again to finalize things, Rogers said back, I either leave with the deal or without the deal. I'm not coming back. <laughs> Belikov acknowledged this, and all the men from Elorg left the room, leaving only Alexei and Hank Rogers behind to talk. The two instantly became the best of buds. Somehow we liked each other almost immediately, Rogers later said. He was the friend I was looking for in Russia. Aww. I know. I love that. It's so that's sweet. That's adorable. Not to mention, these two guys are like the coolest dudes in our story by far. Well, that's good. No, yeah. I mean... They both just love games. I don't want to spoil, you know. but that will pay off later, I'll say. Uh, yes, you know. Yes. <laughs> This then led to them both to pal around Moscow, with Alexei giving him the grand tour. They uh, got sloshed on some vodka, and even discussed- He's our brutalist architecture. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> and even discussed ideas for a Tetris sequel, which, fun fact by the way, this would be the game that would eventually become Weltris, a sort of 3D imagining of Tetris, but not Tetris 2. Oh, I thought which, you were say this would be the Tetris with the different shaped pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Alexei had practically nothing to do with Tetris 2. I made Hattris. I think that was also him. And Wordtris, which mm. was like a Scrabble kind of sort of game. That dude loves tennis, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Did he make the Tetris games where you're destroying little blocks and there's like a picture of a naked lady behind it and oh, trying to that, get rid of them all? He's talking about bubble bath babes? Why do I know that? This is... <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you know that? Wait, let me see your phone. Whoa, that is a weird bookmark that you have there. I'm going to look up bubble bath, babes. Keep talking. <laughs> For Bajitnov, it was, quote, refreshing to have a casual conversation about his creation. He offered me nothing and asked for nothing. Their friendship would soon become a vital part in having Tetris be what it is today, as Austin knows. See, this is why I kind of felt bad for messing up his name before. Not only did he kind of bring, like, you know, a new game genre to a whole other nation with the JRPG thing, but he was a, also a cool dude, too. Yeah. You're sick, dude. <laughs> Are you looking at game? Oh, it's a bubble, yeah. no, bubble bath smut was, smut. Was, a, was like a... It was an unlicensed bubble NES bubble game. thing, though. It was very bum, but yeah. Or I guess bust a move or whatever. Bust a groove. <laughs> I'm just going to look up Naked Lady Tetris. <laughs> Jumping ahead to the next day, Rogers would return back to Elorg with a whole new contract for the handheld rights. Easily spelled out on one simple page. No tricks. The only thing was that Stein and Kevin Maxwell were going to be coming today for the meeting as well. His and the only other thing was that when they put it into Russian language, it was two pages. <laughs> it's called Peeptress. <laughs> Fuck. That's such a good name. Is that a... Uh, I thought it was like a mistress. <laughs> Miss Tetris, like Miss Pac-Man. Oh, I smell like mistress. Like. <laughs> Wait, hold on. This doesn't make any sense because when you put pieces down, it reveals the naked lady. But if you play Tetris right, you never get to see the naked lady. I was thinking about that. It's like you have to almost fuck up and try to get enough yeah. to jerk off to. But my oh, my God. The only thing 
was that Stein and Kevin Maxwell were going to be coming today for a meeting as well. Mm. His counter to them was to have a clause in the deal that would expire in seven days. This way... It's like all, the ring. Yeah. <laughs> all those foreign hands couldn't keep modifying and altering it in their favor. This, along with the video game history lesson from Rogers the day before, would prepare Belikov too. Rogers wanted to help. He thought those companies were abusing their rights, which they kind of were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Stein was still reaping all the rewards while the Russians and the creator of himself were only getting pennies. Those guys are abusing the rights. Oh, I mean, yeah, I was going to, too, before I came here and did all this, but but <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like I did, I could have, but I didn't. <laughs> not to mention, Alexei and his team felt much more comfortable doing business with the friendly American over the hungry Hungarian. In the words of researcher Norman Caruso, it was time for the communists to play the game of capitalism. Ooh. And that was it. They never did again. <laughs> <laughs> Stein soon arrived with the goal of obtaining those sweet, sweet arcade and handheld rights. He had no idea that a deal was already being worked out with Hank, Rogers, and Bulletproof. The arcade rights, by the way, were especially important as Tengen and Sega were already taking orders on machines. One of these was also the unit that me and uh, former guest Chris Nudeboom were playing on your birthday last year, Austin. Oh, your, really? At your B-Day party. Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Which that, one was the one that I beat you on at Barcade? The one that was broken so that I couldn't rotate. Oh, I don't remember that. I could. All of the machines at Barcade are. F- every Barcade are so fucked yeah. and clogged with beer. Maybe you should have picked the working side. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I guess that was my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, the meeting starts. This is the first one. Belikov, understandably pissed, pulls out the original contract with Andromeda and shows it to Stein. And this next exchange I will also read verbatim. Mr. Stein, tell me honestly, what is this document called? An agreement, he replied. This nonchalant response then threw the L-Org president into attack mode. It's not an agreement. It's a set of some irresponsible phrases or other under which rights are transferred to one party without compensation for the other. Belikov then presented the man with a new amendment to the old contract. L-Org was going to get their money. And this included penalties to the late payment. He also refused to negotiate anything further with the man until Stein signed it. Stein then told him he would look it over and return back in a couple of days. It certainly didn't go as he planned, but he was still fixated on coming back and getting those other rights. And this was just the first meeting. The second meeting right after had Kevin Maxwell's from the almighty Maxwell Corporation up at the plate. Remember, he had rich dad powers, not just with money, but also those connections to higher Russian bureaucrats, including Gorbachev. What was he coming to get? He was coming to get the same thing. Oh. Everybody wanted a piece. That's, Wait, that wasn't even a pun. Did, did Hank Rogers already get the handheld rights? No, he had the contract drawn up for them. He was basically already in cahoots, and then this is like a test for the other two oh, bidders. Because okay, okay. Kevin Maxwell and Stein had no idea this other deal with Hank Rogers was already basically in process yeah. like in progress yeah. while Belikov was sort of you know playing coy and just sort of testing them and seeing if there was a better deal which they're kind of proving that there wasn't but Robert Maxwell and Mirosoft were pretty assuming that Kevin was going to get the work done to secure the money making handheld rights for Tetris so the way that Belikov opened this meeting was by simply sliding the Famicom cart that he got from Rogers the day before across the table what is this? The Allard president bluffed. Kevin sat there in silence, having no fucking clue where it came from. 
Finally speaking, he claimed it was a pirated copy of the game sold by some bootlegger. He even tried using this as a tactic for them to team up so that instances like this wouldn't happen again. Dude, good move lying to the Russian government. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great move right there. His ignorance of the whole situation, though, quickly led to his biggest fuck-up. Oh, that wasn't his biggest fuck-up? <laughs> Belikov, however, had his answer. No one had the permissions to make and sell this thing, and only Rogers appeared honest and knowledgeable enough to work with. Although Ellerk, unfortunately, couldn't really just tell Maxwell Corp to screw off. This could lead to a way bigger conflict. Their power, after all, very much, you know, that could bite them in the ass later. Mm -hmm. So Belikov questioned that if this was indeed a pirated unit here, then what would the bid be for your company to get the home console rights to help stop it? That's when Kevy Boy threw in an extra deal where Elord could receive some publishing rights of their own in bringing some of Maxwell's books and magazines to their country mostly reference books and encyclopedias that could fare well there. In exchange for this, Mirosoft was given a, quote, right of first refusal to any new rights to Tetris. This basically meant, and I had to kind of look into this, that the holder in this scenario would have the option to go into doing business with whoever they wanted before any real entitlement came from that third-party transaction. Bulletproof could, you know, be in without him, essentially. Yeah. yeah, that's also how EA was able to buy Respawn, fun fact. Really? They had a deal with them that no had right of first refusal, and somebody else tried to buy Respawn, and EA just was like, nope, we're going to buy them. Wow. They just waited for somebody else to jump on it and then <laughs> blocked it. Yeah, all right, well, yeah, this that is absolutely then, applicable. Because then you get a price. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, I mean, around this point in our story, people still don't even like really know how much any of this is worth. Right, yeah. yeah. But Kevin Maxwell was foolishly satisfied enough and left for back home thinking the meeting was a success. Although in reality, he got played like a fiddle and compromised any bright future with the puzzle game phenomenon. Richard Stein, back in his Moscow hotel room, read over the contract he received with the new amendments. It was essentially the same, minus the heavy penalties, of course. But Stein didn't really care. The purpose of his whole trip was to get the arcade rights, even over the handheld ones due to the production of those cabinets. So he had no choice. He signed his name, gave the papers over to Eller the next day, and further negotiations were back on again. Except, Belikov slightly said that their group was ready to sell the arcade license, but not the handheld license. With the latter costing 150 k for advanced royalty payments along with a six-week deadline. Oh, that's on the arcade cabinets. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of cash for sure, more than what Stein wanted to spend. But rather than deal with another wave of backlash from Tengen and Sega, like what he just went through, he took the offer and returned home. The thing was, though, is that he totally accidentally missed a crucial detail in that new contract. Belikov added a new definition for what a computer is in it. No more loopholes in bringing that shit to wherever. The updated wording said, and I quote, although funny enough, because this wouldn't really work at all today, but that a computer had to consist of, quote, a processor, monitor, disk drive or drives, a keyboard, and operating system. This more or less meant fuck your NES and Game Boy. <laughs> yeah. So now they couldn't fucking do anything. They couldn't print anything. Yeah. yeah. But they can make Tetris caps, so... <laughs> The papers were also backdated, meaning all those rights Stein thought he had were now completely stripped away. Mm. Oh. And knowing the businessman would be primarily fixed on the money, 
the late payments were just a distraction. Thus, Elorg won the fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With both meetings now over, it was safe for Belikov to call Rogers and update him, going on to say that the Maxwells were still under those handhold rights, too. Rogers responded with saying, I can't outbid Maxwell, but I can offer you honesty and promise to pay you for each cartridge. He even followed this up by bringing over a new contract for Bulletproof and politely run through the entire thing in every detail to Belikov and the reps at Elork. They were on board. And thus the handheld license was officially secured by Rogers and Nintendo. Oh, yeah. that's how communism works for you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that was capitalism. You'd be like, I can't pay you as much as them. And they'd be like, hey, like, get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Once everything was signed, Belikov presented one last pitch to our boy Hank, asking that why don't he also make a bid for the U.S. console rights to Tetris as well? If Nintendo was going to have the Famicom and Game Boy versions covered, then how about the NES 2? Rogers knew Arakawa at Nintendo of America would be down. After seeing the sales results in Japan, they'd pretty much outbid anyone for them. Bulletproof was small, and the Game Boy had yet to prove its success. The Big N, though, was a whole nother story. They were thirsty in keeping the Nintendo Entertainment System train running. Mm-hmm. So, Belikov told him to have another write-up for him in three weeks. Rogers was on his way back to Japan, ready to work again. Back home, he quickly called Arakawa to inform him of the news. Not only were the handheld rights acquired, but due to all that other bullshit, the home console rights there were now on the table too. This was when previous hot-button character, Howard Lincoln, the vice president of Nintendo of America, was let in on the game too. And he instantly was like, oh fuck, organizing this deal could be huge, not only would Nintendo make millions, but it would be some super revenge on Tengen as they were already in a $100 million suit with them for the production of their unlicensed carts. Yeah. The upcoming Tetris that they were working on included. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, everybody else who isn't Nintendo now can't make anything because of this new fucking deal. Yeah, well, at least off of PC. Yeah, off yeah. of PC. Yeah. yeah. Atari claimed, sidebar, as I've mentioned before, I do want to cover this whole ordeal in a future episode at some point, but they were frustrated over Nintendo's policies at the time about titles coming to their platform, alleging that antitrust violations were creating unfair competition. Remember, Nintendo was very strict at the time about home ports from the arcade, as well as how many titles your company could distribute in a single time frame in order to avoid the low quality oversaturation that was said to cause the great gaming crash years prior. This all while Nintendo themselves could essentially release whatever they wanted as often as they wanted and with their own promotions. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But this is what led to those famous black slanted cartridges that frequently occupied the shelves of many legitimate retail stores. I don't know if any of you guys had any of these as a kid. They had their own versions of Pac-Man, Super Sprint, Afterburner, and you know what? They were pretty damn good ports, too. Like... I actually enjoyed the Tengen Tetris on NES much more than the official one. Theirs had multiplayer, competitive, and co-op. Of course, the Game Boy version was leaks better than both of them, but I digress. Yeah. Uh, Nintendo was still pissed and wanted that shit off the shelves. The Atari subsidiary managed to get the first unlicensed releases out for sale on the system, and that could have led to way, way more companies to follow in tail. And that Tengen Tetris, by the way, was still prepping for launch. They were going to beat Nintendo to their own market by over half a year. Development was only barely started on their end since they had to waste all that time, you know, 
trying to make it legal and all. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> you just make it without telling anybody. You get it out right away. You can save so much time. <sighs> this all made Lincoln want to go for the throat. So he sent Rogers back to Moscow once again to obtain those NES rights and make Atari look like assholes, enemies of the USSR. Mm. Plus, he could see his buddy Alexei again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, this time he was also sent with an attorney, a Russian attorney. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> the two then strolled back up to Elorg and nearly made Belikov's head explode. Five million dollars for the home console rights to Tetris. The Elorg president went right to his good old Telex machine and hit up Mirasoft. First bringing up that whole right to refusal thing that I mentioned earlier, but also giving them one last chance and one last day of 24 hours to make them an offer. One day later, on March 16th, 1989, after not hearing back, Elorg was ready to sign with Nintendo. There you go. However... Because of the large amount of money at stake, right, you know, I kind of forgot, $5 million used to be a lot of money to corporations back then, but they needed signatures from the guys high up at the top. So Arakawa and Lincoln flew over themselves in secret. Their competition like Maxwell and Atari and Sega could not find out that they were on their way there. They had to go through so much great lengths to hide it that they even lied to their own employees back at the building, claiming it was just a routine trip to Japan. Once they arrived and all started talking, Lincoln brought up to everyone there that Atari was absolutely going to come after them for this. This was when a clause was added to the contract that Elorg would have to defend their rights in any potential litigation. It was also brought up here that Alexei should finally be compensated for his portion of the royalties as well, with Lincoln himself wanting to add him, the creator, to the official contract. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. As per, this would have also allowed the guy to credit his team of Pavlovsky, Garismov, and even Pokilko as well. Nice. Belikov, though, almost immediately shot it down. Claiming the game was made on company time, which really it wasn't at all, just company property, but still, it belonged to the state. After this unfortunate conclusion, Elorg went on to talk manufacturing, suggesting that uh, they could even make the actual carts that the game would ship on. Not only this, but they wanted to make their own version of the NES, too, in Russia. <laughs> Man, what would that have looked like? <laughs> they recently did that with the Switch in China. Really? They made an version? Uh, Tencent did. No way. Tencent made like their own version of the Switch. Did they go and through s- Nintendo to do that? I think so. So the Switch is region free. It is, yeah. But not, All the new not in China. You, oh. you have to buy a copy of the game that has Tencent's logo on it or it won't work on your Chinese Switch. Dude. <laughs> That's flawed. Also, why would Atari come after them? Atari doesn't have console rights anymore. No, but they want them. Yeah. Oh, like, okay. the, you know, yeah. that's like, that's the thing. It's like once they heard about this deal was going on sort of behind their back. Like, Fuck them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still having fun picturing a Russian NES. I just feel like it would be something like a Metro that you'd have to pump or something. Um, regardless, <laughs> Nintendo... a regular NES with a hammer and a sickle. <laughs> yeah, I was like, NES is already pretty blocky and square. Yeah, that's true. And boring. <laughs> it's got red on you know, like for the lettering and stuff. Regardless, Nintendo said, nah, we good on that. <laughs> just sign the shit so we can peace out. <laughs> then suddenly, it was like something out of a movie, during the final stage of negotiations, Jim from Mirasoft finally responded to that telex message, which as far as they knew, they already had the console rights. They thought it was just a mistake on Elorg's part. 
But that was all Belikov needed to hear to put his pen to the paper, and on March 22nd, the license for the less good version of Tetris than the NES was Nintendo's. <laughs> Do you know what year this is? This was 1989. Okay. Yeah, early in 89, which, before the 10-gen version got released, before the Nintendo NES version got released, and before the Game Boy version got released. Both of those also handled by Bulletproof. Well, how would Mirasol believe they had the rights? It's It's been, like, what, a week or two since, maybe longer, three weeks or so. I mean, they, I think they were still under assumption as per the old contract about the uh, computer thing, okay, you know? Okay, okay. Yeah. Because they, you know, at this point it was. Oh, we like, got away with it over here. He thought it was a. He thought it was a pirate copy. We did it. <laughs> well, not only that, but he was the one who got totally tricked with the right to refusal thing. So yeah. according to, like, he shook Belikov's hand. Kevin did, thinking like it was like, yeah, we figured this yeah. out. And uh, nope, <laughs> he just got you know. A lot of businessmen who are bad at business. He just got the rug pulled out from under him. Which he just didn't know it yet. <laughs> Following this meeting, then prompted Elorg to send out his last two messages to both Mirosoft, Jim, and Andromeda Stein. The handheld rights and home console rights were now both property of the big N and no longer for sale. Robert Stein was shocked and upset. I was so focused on getting what I wanted that I forgot about watching what they wanted, he mm-hmm. later said. And the home console rights, too. Yeah. He uh, felt, ironically enough, that he was a victim of lying, backstabbing, and cheating. But hey, he just got played. He's a businessman. He should know. Of course, that still didn't stop him from accusing Rogers of colluding with the Russians on their own deal. Which, eh, maybe he was. While also going on to say that Kevin's meeting right after fucked everyone over in the arrangement since he was such a dumbass. Yeah. He was probably, like, the least understanding of the industry. Not to, like... Sound mean, but he was like a daddy's boy. He was coming from a big... Yeah. Coming, like, he didn't know what he was getting into. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, don't don't worry about sounding mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, some bad stuff happens to him later, so... But, you know, it all worked out in Roger's benefit from being human with the person that he... Like, you know, he was trying to work with him. Like, oh, surprise. Know. Yeah. <laughs> but at least, like, Stein wasn't completely screwed, though. He still technically had the home PC and arcade rights of the game, and that was something. Yeah. Kevin Maxwell, on the other hand, he was pissed as fuck and angrily sent a fax back to Elorg, accusing them of being in a breach of contract twice over for each botched deal. He also threatened to get higher authorities from the USSR involved, and this was not a bluff. Meanwhile, over in the motherland, they were all happy as clams, with the Soviet government actually beginning to get into the Tetra spirit. And they even started to promote, going so far as to invite Gerald Hicks, an American and the first one-time champion of the, you know, the new game, to a promotional trip across the country to advertise their upcoming releases on the new platforms. Mm-hmm. Everyone at Elorg were relieved to have the issues resolved so that they could keep moving forward. That was until Kevy Boy had state officials sent over to investigate Belikov. They tore the headquarters apart and searched all his documents. He stood his ground, though, assuring that the agreement with Nintendo be honored. After some questioning, the government agents had no choice except to leave. Yeah, there wasn't any, like, there was no breach of contract ever. No. Like, they didn't never had home console rights, so yeah. they never had any fucking... But when you whine to your, you know, billionaire dad about, like, yeah. you know, who's in cahoots with a lot of very powerful, very important people... Yeah. So, so well, Maxwell got the home console rights... From Stein? That's what they thought. That's what they thought. Yeah. But now he doesn't have them, so that 
their contract was never with Elorg. It was with Andromeda. Yes. Okay. Correct. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And it was never Boy technically get... for console regardless. Yeah. Or handheld. Yeah. Just computer. Yes. Which they maintain, so shut up. Exactly. They, they, I mean, <laughs> it's know? like they were still making money off their Amiga versions of Tetris, Commodore versions of Tetris, whatever. It's like, it's just that... He's just salty that he he's, he's an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, this is going to get very interesting. Robert Maxwell, Kevin's daddy, after hearing the word of what went down, threw a fit. And this is supposedly from a first-hand account, went, quote, ape shit. This was when Robert contacted his old friend Gorbachev to step in, who was now general secretary of the entire Soviet Union. Rightfully so, though, he had much more important matters to tend to. We already brought up Chernobyl the previous episode, but even post that, there was societal collapse to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> Prompting Gorby to, in more words or less, instruct Maxwell to let it go. Hey, Maxwell, you're wrong to begin with, and capitalist fucking pigs like you are destroying my country right now. <laughs> so I got bigger things to worry about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mirosoft was out of the fight, along with Jim, Kevin, and especially Robert, as he mysteriously disappeared off of his personal yacht only two years later. Presumed to have fallen overboard, his nude body was eventually recovered from the Atlantic Ocean near the Canary Islands. An official ruling afterwards determined the death to be a combination of a heart attack and accidental drowning, although doctors still have yet to fully agree. The powerful man's sudden departure also triggered a flood of instability for the once massive company, with banks all frantically calling in their massive loans. His sons, both Kevin and Ian, his brother, Maxwell, attempted to try and hold the empire together, but were unable to prevent its collapse. The Maxwell Communications Corporation and Mirosoft were shut down only a couple months later in early 1992. Jeez. Back in 89, though, Nintendo and Bulletproof were hard at work on their versions of Tetris. Problem was, Tengen was just about to launch theirs, too. This was when, shortly after all those meetings were adjourned, President Makajima from Atari got his first update in a while. <laughs> and this was from Nintendo of America's Howard Lincoln. You guys want to guess what it was? Stop making this. Was it, it was it just a ding big ding. middle finger printed out on one of those dot matrix <laughs> in like ASCII art? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just you know? coming in real slow, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the bottom of a hand. <laughs> it's like oh, maybe it's a high five, a maybe thumbs up, oh, son of a bitch. Well, you are correct in that it was a cease and desist, yeah. ordering them to halt from any further manufacturing, promotion, or advertising, and of course, sale of their Tetris NES title immediately. Oh, and this also included other consoles as well, like their Sega partnership. We'll get back to them next time. But yeah, the real kicker for him, though, was that it wasn't just the hot news of this, but also that their biggest competitor, Nintendo, had swiped it from him. Lincoln was later quoted as saying, We got those bastards by the balls. <laughs> and my friends, this is where we're going to leave it for today. Now you are going to have to come back, because we're just three parts in, and most of the versions you know of this game aren't even out yet. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding, though. We are likely going to probably finish up with part four. Well, maybe. There we'll could very see. well be a five. No more than five, though, I promise, I think. That's famous last words before we become a Tetris podcast. <laughs> yeah, 2022 rolls around. We're on part 16. 
<laughs> you guys want to go that high? I can, I can make it happen. No. <laughs> no. Does everyone know where we are? Yeah. yeah. All right. This one was slightly less confusing. A little bit. Yeah, we didn't have to go through a pyramid of... of uh... It's because the story all converged in Russia. That's yeah, why. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything came to a head, so to speak. <laughs> and we got our first death. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, but... It's unrelated. It is unrelated. But he I probably did... just had a heart attack being an old white guy on a boat. You know? <laughs> that seems I, like pretty common. I just more find it interesting that it's like, when you think about the size that that corporation used to be, it's like, do you really think if Jeff Bezos were to suddenly die tomorrow, that Amazon would go away? With any luck. <laughs> yeah, one would hope. Yeah. I don't think it works that way no, anymore. No, because I mean, after Steve Jobs dies, Tim Apple took over. But here's and the thing: doing pretty good. Uh, we haven't gotten into <laughs> we haven't gotten into it yet. But the Tetris company didn't start till '95, so if it wasn't for his death and their entire business crumbling, they could have very well continued to fight for this. Especially yeah. after the Game Boy version came out and like fucking just took. Over but see, that's the like, weird thing. They don't have ground to stand on other than the semantics of what a computer is. And it's just like... They in, have Stein. And in They the, go after right, him. Make him disappear off a boat. Stein also is like even further, even closer to like, you know... Well, yeah, he signed a new contract that said this is what a computer did. is. He did. So it's yeah. basically like he... So cut, their beef is with Stein, not Their beef with, is uh, with Stein, you're right. Russia. Yeah. <laughs> not with Nintendo. It's like how many... Down the chain of lies, if yeah. the, the liar in the middle figures out something to benefit himself, like... Yeah. Who knows? And maybe, I don't... Maybe lie is a strong word with Stein. You know, we may not fully know maybe what... Maybe Alexei Pajitnov killed... Robert Maxwell. <laughs> Crushed him with a four-piece. Yeah. <laughs> the bar. He T-spun that guy right into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not funny. A, a billionaire died. <laughs> 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 All right. Let's, that's let's, now hot buttons on a list. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we already were. I'm pretty sure we've already made fun of billionaires dying in the past. I think we opened with uh, targeting Jeff Bezos at one point. Yeah. <laughs> I made a joke about buying a guillotine off Amazon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. All Thank right. You. Let's wrap it up here. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this isn't your first episode. If oh, that is, would be a bad decision. If it is, by some reason, we already made fun of you in the beginning for clicking on something. This is part three, but we'll, we'll do it here again. We'll it again. Yeah. <laughs> if... By some chance, this is the first one. Go back and listen to part one and two. Yes, And please. then when you're done, while you're waiting the two weeks for part four, go listen to the rest of our 60 or whatever episodes. Yeah, we just did a really funny one on Twitch Plays Pokemon. Yes, that should, that's that also should be out, out by the time that this is, yeah. And if you like what you're listening to and you want to hear more, you can head up our website, hotbuttoncast.com. Mm-hmm. From there, you can get to our socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at the Hot Button Cast. And I'm done promoting individual podcast services because pretty sure we're on all of them. You should fuck the social media too. Dude, just hop on cast across the board. In Let's fact, if, if you have not, consistency, if there's yeah. a podcast service you're on and hot button is not on it, please hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> yeah. or Facebook and let us know. We'll find it because yeah. I'm pretty sure we're on all of them, and we're on YouTube. And subscribe to our YouTube channel so that I can change the goddamn fucking name <laughs> Google, and then hopefully you will be ready to go when we start putting out video content, which yeah. should be sometime this year. And if you like the podcast, yeah. tell your friend. It's not that hard. Hey, you listen to this yeah, if you like video do. games. I think word yeah. of mouth really Odds helps. Odds are we covered something that they uh, yeah. read the word, into... go on Reddit, and just spam links to our stuff. Maybe not. Until you get banned. Spam, yeah. Yeah, do it. And make sure that you post about it on Facebook so much that Mark Zuckerberg comes to your house personally <laughs> and smacks the mouse out of your hand. Speaking of billionaires, yeah, yeah. that should disappear um, off. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for listening. Are we on and TikTok yet? I can make one. Yeah. <laughs>
Don't, you won't say that. Now I have to make TikTok. It's just going to be videos of us dancing to Ariana Grande. I, don't I, know. Barely, I, don't, I barely I don't, know what that app is. I don't is. understand TikTok. I'm elderly. It's Chinese. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Does Tencent and, uh, own it? No, some other company. Oh, all right. Stay tuned <laughs> for part four. All right. Bye.